Please stand for the reading of God's word. Um, slight misprint in the bulletin is we're reading from Luke 2, 1 through 20. And we're thankful to have Levi here today to unfold this passage for us. So let's read. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria, and all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no place for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were filled, filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth a peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. Well, good morning. A very Merry Christmas to all of you. Hope you had a wonderful uh, day yesterday uh, with friends and with family. But today's an even better day. Today is the day that the Lord has made. It's the Lord's Day where we can gather to worship Him together. A holy day that He Himself has uh, sanctified, has set apart, has made holy, a Sabbath unto Himself. And he's invited us into that Sabbath rest. He's invited us into the rest that his son has, has won for us. And it's a privilege to be able to do that, to gather together as a blood-bought community and worship the risen king, to be reminded of all that he has done as we were just reminded from the scripture, from the prayer. Thank you, Scott, for that. 
Uh, everything that he's done, everything that happened in the incarnation and in his life and death and resurrection. What a wonderful thing to be able to do this morning. Well, if you have not yet, please uh, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. That was just read for you. And you know, when we gather uh, for these holidays, we're always in danger of, of getting to different topics that uh, might upset different people in the room. Uh, some of those touchy topics, religion, of course, politics, the, the, everything that's going on in current events, and all the bad news that uh, is all around us. And there's been no shortage of bad news over the past you know, several months, and I guess several years now. It always seems to be getting worse. That's maybe an understatement. And there's so much bad news that can often drown out any good news that might be out there. There's so much bad news that we can sometimes uh, forget about the good news, not actually believe it when we see it. We can refuse to believe it, like doubting Thomas. He refused to believe that this was the risen Lord until he touched the holes in his hands and in his side for himself. Or we can be like the the group of uh, disciples in Acts chapter 12 and just disregard any thought of good news. When that young girl uh, came to them with the message that Peter was at the door, he had been let out of prison. He has escaped. No, that's, that's impossible. That's way too good of news. But the passage we just heard read to us gives us a, a different story, a story of these shepherds. And could we be like these shepherds in our passage, in which they, they heard this good news and they believed it? And it says that they went with haste to see it for themselves, everything that was proclaimed to them, everything that had just happened. And that's our goal for this morning, that we would be like them, that we would go with haste, that this good news would captivate us so entirely that we would leave everything that we're doing, everything else behind, that we would go and see for ourselves this good news. And that we would go about praising and glorifying God for all that he has done for us in Christ Jesus. But so what is this good news? That's the question for us this morning. What is this good news that brings about great joy? Why is it so great? What is the message that compels us to leave everything behind that we might go and glorify and praise God? Well, let me pray for us now as we turn to the text that we would have eyes to see that, that the Spirit will work on our hearts this morning to see this good news, that we would go and praise God together. Let me pray for us. Gracious and merciful Heavenly Father, we thank you for another Lord's Day, one day in seven, where we can come and gather together to worship you. Lord, we pray that by your Spirit, our worship would be pleasing to your sight. And Lord, we pray that by your spirit now, as we attend to your word, uh, that you would open our eyes, open our hearts to receive your word, that you would make it clear to us, that you make it efficacious to us, that we would live our lives as uh, living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you, as we remember all that Christ has done for us in the gospel. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are so many different uh, sermons in this text that we just read. 
Uh, we could go in very, uh, a lot of different directions. Uh, even Scott himself uh, talking here about the shepherds, the fact that the angels came to shepherds. The good news was proclaimed to a bunch of lowly shepherds that society would have disregarded completely, but that's who Jesus came to save. He came to save the low, the downcast, the poor, the needy. We could talk about all that uh, Christ has done uh, and, and uh, Mary's uh, understanding of that. We could focus on her story, how she was obedient to her calling in life. But this morning, I want to spend our time in just one verse that we read. Verse 11. Because you see in, in verse 10, the angel says, Behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Well, what is that good news? Why is this news so good and so joyous? Verse 11, our verse this morning, gives us the answer. There are three reasons. There's three aspects to this good news that brings about great joy. Because the angel says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. There's three things. There's a when, it was born this day. And there's a where, there's a location in the city of David. And there's who. He's a savior who is Christ the Lord. Those three aspects, they comprise the good news that brings about great joy. So let's look at those three things in order this morning. And the first thing we see that the angel says there's good news because something incredible has just happened this very day. I can be uh, remarkably uh, impatient at times. I don't know if any of you guys are like that. I can be so impatient, I can even surprise myself just how impatient I am. And I think the, it comes out the most when I'm driving. Uh, Jess can attest to that, but don't ask her after the service. She knows too much already. But whenever I get impatient, I, I remember a lesson that I learned uh, growing up. My parents would tell me this, and uh, folks from my church growing up say something like, don't ever ask God for patience, because he might give it to you. He might make you learn it. You might have to learn patience, and if there is anyone that has ever had to learn that lesson of patience, it was God's old covenant people. See, our Bible is full of stories of, of God's people waiting for their God to rescue them. How many of the Psalms have that common refrain of, of how long, O Lord? Whether it was the bond, uh, under bondage in Egypt, uh, during the long wandering in the wilderness of 40 years, the constant wait for God to raise up judges to deliver them from their enemies once they had uh, reached the promised land, or the long, long wait they had in captivity by the Assyrians and the Babylonians in exile. God's people waited. And each time the cycle of suffering and deliverance happened, God was progressively revealing more and more about his plan of redemption. God's people were destined to repeat this cycle, to repeat the cycle of disobedience and punishment suffering, and then deliverance, only to fall back into that cycle again 
until something was done with the root cause that started that all, with their sin, that sin problem. And the good news was, God had promised that he was going to do something about it. He was going to fix it. From the very beginning, God had promised to do something about that sin, Adam's sin in the garden. And in that garden, after Adam fell, we have the first proclamation of the gospel, the first message of that good news. In Genesis 3, verse 15, in that verse, God proclaims them in the midst of his his judgment upon them. He gives them the message of hope, of salvation. And we read that the offspring of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And that same promise, this promise of an offspring, was later given to Abraham. That through Abraham's offspring, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And the story continues. By the sign of the Passover lamb in Egypt, God's people again were given a foreshadowing of the salvation that would come through the capital L, Lamb of God, whose blood would atone for their sin. And all throughout the prophets, God's servants proclaimed messages of hope that a Savior, there was one who was promised who would come, this offspring, the Son of God, to defeat sin and death and to break the cycle. This this man, this Savior, was coming. And yet, all of these promises, all these stories, all these prophecies, they happened over the course of thousands of years. Generations of Israelites lived and died waiting to see the offspring that was promised. Waiting to see the one who would fix everything and restore everything and make all things new. To reconcile them back to a right relationship with God. And so this is the background. This is the context of our story. The story of our shepherds who were waiting. You see, at this point in time, the prophets and the writings that are contained in our Old Testament, they had been finished. It had been 400 years since God had raised up a prophet for them, for God's people. And once again, God's people, the Israelites, are living under foreign rule. They're living under oppressive government, this time at the hand of the Roman Empire. So 12 to 15 generations had passed since, since Malachi, the last uh, prophet of the Old Testament, when his ministry has ended. Several generations have gone by, and they're waiting, generation after generation, grandparent to parent, to child, to grandchild, all passing down these, these promises, all passing down God's, God's law. As they waited, they waited for deliverance. And every year that passed by, it seemed that maybe this time, God truly did and has forgotten about them. It had been 400 years. These are just distant memories. So why would any of these shepherds expect anything unique to happen that night? Why would they expect anything new? And exciting to happen to them. And so can you imagine the unbelievable, incredible news that these shepherds heard? Born this day. 
shepherds, do you remember all of those promises that your great, 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 great grandparents told you about? Do you remember those stories? Those prophecies, those promises of God? Well, it's all coming true. This very day, it's happening. There's no more waiting. But not only that, not only born this day, the angel says, but it's also born this day in the city of David. And why did the angels include this detail in the proclamation? Why is that such an important thing to point out to them? Well, look back with me at verses 1 through 7. Luke's uh, gospel has so much detail in it, it can be tempting to skim past it at times. Uh, But we must not do this. Because when we look closely, we see that God is working in the details throughout the entire picture, throughout the entire story, working in the details to fulfill the promises that he made to his people. And so we read in verse 1 that Caesar Augustus ordered a census, a registration, throughout his entire empire. Uh, This was the first uh, census, the first registration, when Quirinius was governor of Syria. Now, I haven't seen every Hallmark uh, Christmas movie that there is. I've seen a few. I love a good Christmas movie. I'm not sure how many Christmas movies start with the plot of the governor doing a census of his people. A long time ago, the emperor ordered a census. That's how the story begins. No, it's, it's as if someone changed the channel from Hallmark to C-SPAN or something. Why are we dealing with uh, census and governors and all these uh, geopolitical things? Why can't we just get to the good part of the story? But you see God is working through the details. We see this in verse 3 as well. Joseph brought Mary and went to uh, the town of Nazareth in the region of Galilee to the city of Bethlehem in Judah, which was the city of David. So we have all this background information, all these different details. Why is this so important? Why did Joseph make this journey? Well, one reason is that he was a descendant of David. He had to go there for the census, for the registration. But even behind that, even more so, God was working in all the details, and the time had come. God was fulfilling his promises. In Micah 5, verse 2, is prophesied, But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. See, Micah prophesied during the reigns of the Judean kings of of Jotham and Ahaz and Hezekiah. And so we can estimate that he was prophesying around uh, the 8th century B.C. He's a contemporary to Isaiah and Hosea, uh, who were also ministering in that time. So for over 700 years, God's people were waiting for that specific prophecy to be fulfilled. And here it is now, on this day, born in the city of of David, it was being fulfilled, and it was being fulfilled to the very last detail. 
the journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem was uh, around 90 miles. This was on foot. There are no uh, trains, uh, planes, or automobiles to speak of other movies. It was a five-day journey back then. And I, I can't know for certain. I don't have that experience, but I can't imagine that would be a fun a journey to do while pregnant. And yet Joseph and Mary did that. And so why does the angel include all this information? Why are we going on about all of this details of the geopolitical situation of the day? I love the way that Calvin puts it. He summarizes the the point very well. And he says that being under Roman rule and the matters of being under Roman rule have been brought in this way to the last extremity and the Jews appear to be cut off and alienated forever from the covenant of God. Things could not have gotten any worse at this point. It seemed that all hope was lost. And he continues and says, at that very time, this God suddenly and contrary to universal expectation afford a remedy. And what is more, he employs that wicked tyranny of Rome for the redemption of his people. For the governor, while he executes the commission entrusted to him, is unknown to himself, God's herald, to call Mary to the place which God had appointed. And certainly Luke's whole narrative may well lead believers to acknowledge that Christ was led by the hand of God. God was working in the details the whole time, even using wicked governments to accomplish his purposes. And so what we have here in Luke's gospel is definitive proof that the child born that day was and continues to be the righteous branch of David, the promised Messiah, the king descended from the line of David, born in Bethlehem, just as God prophesied and promised he would do. So we must remember just it's a brief digression, just to acknowledge that God is sovereign over all things and sovereign over every earthly government. The Psalms talk about how God holds the hearts of kings uh, like water and, and weaves them and moves them as he wishes. And so it is here. The kings, the empire, the, the governors, they have their purposes in mind. They have their registrations and their census. But God's using that to fulfill his promises. And he does so today. He's still the sovereign king of all kings, Lord of all lords. He's sovereign over our government, over every government in the world. And his empire has no end. He was born this day. He was born in the city of David. But this wasn't the only news that the angel brought to the shepherds. Certainly, it would be possible we could imagine that there was at least one other child that might have been born that day. There might have been one other son born in that city in Bethlehem. Just by itself, the news of of a birth wouldn't warrant such a heavenly proclamation. We see that's not the end of 
the news, the good news, wasn't only when he was born, it wasn't only where he was born, but it was who was born. Who was it that was born that day in the city of David? Could this baby, could this this child born in that city of David be the one that we were waiting for? That's the third part of the angel's message. The answer is yes. This is the good news of great joy because the one born unto you this day in the city of David is a savior who is Christ the Lord. Who was it that was born this day? He is a savior. Finally, after all of these years of waiting, a savior. This is the one who was promised. This is the offspring of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. This is the child of Abraham through whom all the nations of the earth will be blessed. This is the Lamb of God whose blood was shed for the forgiveness of our sin, who covered us in protection as God's wrath passed over. This is the one of whom the prophet spoke that he was pierced for our transgressions and he was crushed for our iniquities. He is the one who will break the cycle, who will defeat sin and conquer the grave. And with his wounds, we are healed. See, this is the good news of the gospel, that God so loved the world, so loved you, loved you in such a way, in such a manner, that he sent his only begotten son, who took on flesh, who became one of us, dwelt among us, so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. He is your savior, who was born that day. That's what his name means, Jesus means deliverer, it means savior, and he is the salvation of the world. But who is this? Who was the one that was born this day? The angel says he is a savior who is the Christ. Christ is another designation for Jesus, a title given to him meaning anointed one. He is the Christ, he is the Messiah, God's anointed. That's what that word means. He is the promised Messiah that came from David's house. God's anointing had been given to many of his servants over the years. The prophets of old were anointed by God, as, as were the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah and the priests of Israel. God gave this anointing to prophets and to priests and to kings throughout the generations to serve his covenant people. But now, this day, the anointed one, the Messiah has come. Jesus, who is the Christ, who is God's anointed prophet, who is our high priest in heaven, who is our king, the king of kings. He is our prophet. He's the one who reveals the will of God to us for our salvation. He's our priest who offered himself freely as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice and to reconcile us back to God. 
and even so now continues to pray and intercede for us at the Father's right hand. And he is also our king who took these rebellious people who subdued us and brought us back to himself, and now he powerfully defends us against every attack, against every enemy, that we will certainly enter into his rest. See, this is the truth that Peter confessed when he replied, you are the Christ, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. Jesus is the Christ, this, this child born that day in the city of David, the savior, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. Who was this that was born that day? A Savior who is the Christ, who is the Lord. He is the rightful king of the kingdom. He truly is the eternal king that Gabriel announced to Mary when he said that he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. And to all God's people living in Judah that day, the message was clear. Caesar is not Lord. Augustus is not Lord. None of the governors, not Quirinius, no one is Lord. Christ is Lord. Jesus is Lord. The Roman Empire does, in fact, have an end. But Jesus' kingdom has no end. He is both Messiah and King. He is Christ and the Lord. He is both anointed by God and he is God himself. This is the good news, church. That we have a Savior who not only wants to save, And we have a Savior who is not only anointed to save, but we have a Savior who is able to save. He can save because he was fully man. Jesus was born a human. Do you think he looked like his mother, Mary? I think so. He was born of her, shared her DNA. He was a man. He was a human, just as we are humans. He came and identified with our weaknesses. He experienced the temptations that we face. He grew tired. He grew hungry. He grew weary. He felt pain, felt sorrow, abandonment. He was fully human, but he was also fully God. No human, no mere human could bear the wrath of God, but only God himself. And knowing this, knowing what it would cost him, that it would cost the life of his beloved, his only begotten son, God sent him into the world to die. And this son of God sent by the father, he willingly humbled himself and took on human flesh 
so he could bear the wrath that we deserved and satisfy the divine justice which our rebellion required. Only God could do this. And he did. The divine took on flesh that he might suffer and sympathize with us so that he could satisfy God's wrath and secure our redemption. This is what the child who was born that day in the city of David has done for you. That is the good news of great joy. So as we conclude our time this morning, there's one last thing that we must not miss, one vital truth. As we leave here, as we go about the rest of this week and the months ahead, we can't miss that the angels don't come bringing a quest for the shepherds. They don't come bringing a list of things that these shepherds must do. The angels bring a message that says, look at what has been done. This has been done for you. It has been done unto you. Unto you is born this day. While you have been tending your flocks and going about your lives, this is what the Lord has done in your midst. The virgin has given birth. The Son of God has taken on human flesh. All you have to do is go and see it for yourself. See if it is not true. See if it is not true that God could come and save a sinner like you and like me. See, that's the scandal of the gospel. The world hates the gospel. Our flesh hates the gospel because when you believe in the gospel, you can no longer believe in yourself. You have to let go of yourself. You can't accomplish anything. That gets at our pride. That gets at our, our, our dignity, our, our uh, ideas of, of self-worth. but we have to let go. We have to see that we can't accomplish it on our own, but this is what God has accomplished for us. And in him, we find life and meaning and happiness and purpose and joy. See, the gospel is good news. It is, it's news. It's a proclamation. It's not an imperative. It's not go and do this. It's see what has been done. It's a statement of fact. That is the good news of great joy. And so have you believed it? That's the question we leave with this morning. Have you believed it? Are you resting on it? Are you resting in Christ alone for your salvation? Have you surrendered your life to him? The king of glory, the Lord of all glory, who was born in a manger among the animals, who came as a poor and needy servant. Have you believed in his name? Well, today is the day of salvation. There's no sin so great that God cannot forgive. Our God is mighty to save. He's willing to save. He is able to save. So bring your brokenheartedness. Bring your struggles. Bring your temptations. Bring your doubts. Bring it all to him. 
and see if he will not comfort you with his nail-scarred hands as he welcomes you into his rest. Have you believed the good news, church? Let's go to him now expectantly as those shepherds did. Let's, let's go to him now in prayer. Almighty God, you are the, the triune God. You are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. You're the great three in one, and we bring you praise upon praise because we have seen your greatness. We have seen it manifest in the birth of this child over 2,000 years ago. He was born that day in the city of his father, David, the Lord of glory himself, anointed by the Spirit for his mission to be the Savior of mankind and to be our Savior. We thank you for the salvation that we have in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And in his name we pray. Amen.